Our scripture reading is from Joshua chapter 1, 1 through 9. You can actually find this in your Bibles, or your Bibles in your pews, um, on page 151. Again, we're reading from Joshua chapter 1, um, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the certain servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to you, to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. May God bless the reading of his word. So yes, yesterday I was kind of too lazy to go out and exercise in the cold, or too soft to go out and exercise in the cold, but it's, it's okay because we have an elliptical in our basement in front of the TV. So I, was, I went down and I caught the last half hour of a show. Problem was, it ended on a cliffhanger, and it's going to be another hour to find out what happens, and there's no way I'm going to exercise for an additional hour. But never mind, you know, you don't need to anymore, do you? Right? I went upstairs. It was a rerun, so I went upstairs to Google and found out the end of the show. And then my wife was on the same show, so I said, do you want to know how that comes out and save an hour? But that didn't work. Well, I only mention this is because we had a two, we're having a two-part sermon. We had the first part last week. All the sermon illustrations were last week. And we really didn't have time for the Bible exposition that supports the sermon illustrations. So this week, we have the Bible exposition, and last week, we had the illustrations. So notice, we've been talking about, for a long time, we have this five-year uh, goal as a, as a congregation, a five-year focus as a congregation. Well, we're really encouraging people to think about how can you leverage your vocations for what God is doing in the world. For some people, particularly college students, high schoolers, this will mean choosing a vocation because it's strategic. Because you can help people with that vocation in a way that you, you know, you could use your skills in a whole variety of directions. What we want to encourage people to do is think about how can I use my skills? In what vocation can I use my skills in a way that is useful to God? And other people. 
Uh, for some of us who already have a vocation, that could mean staying in the same job or same vocation and staying in, staying in the Boston area, but figuring out how can I add something to this? How can I use the time? How can I shift my focus in a way that's more useful to God and to other people? For others, it'll involve keeping the same vocation, but using it in areas that are less reached, have less access to the gospel, or, or that have less access to life's advantages. So it could mean keeping the same job, but moving to Appalachia, or moving, keeping the same job, but moving to Latin America, keeping the same job, but moving to East Asia. How can I use my vocation in a different location? And for some of us, it will mean leaving our vocations entirely to go into vocational ministry. That's only one option out of four. And I don't leave the best for last. It's genuinely, Protestants have always taught, long taught, that it is one option out of four. And so last week, we heard stories from a couple of people. We heard Mark was talking about how he's more or less the same vocation, using his software skills, but shifting focus from software sales to, to software support so he can shift the organization he works for. And through that organization, he can get involved in some social concerns outreach. So we heard his story about that. And really, the, you know, he mentioned some of the uncertainty or... or I don't know, anxiety may be too strong a word, but some of the uncertainty he faced as he moved from sales to support and saw his income decrease to one-third. And it's a legitimate concern when we move in a new direction with God. And then last week, we also heard from Jason and Ella as they talked about leaving their vocations and their work in this country and going over to East Asia, and even greater challenges and anxieties they faced, whether it be the need to learn one, actually two new languages, uh, the challenge as a foreigner of getting renewing a visa, and the platform they've chose to renew their visa is quite expensive, so are they going to be able to afford it, are they going to be able to shift to a new visa platform? The challenges of being a foreigner and getting your kids educated in a local school. When you're an immigrant, you're last on the priority list. It's not you go to school in the town you live. It's you go to school that has openings because nobody else wanted that school. You know, what does it mean for your kids' education to be educated in another language in a local school system if they can even get in? Or they come home with mounds of homework and don't finish until bedtime. What does it mean? Uh, when you have a health scare and you're in a country where you're uncertain about the quality of the health care, what does it mean when you're overseas and your parents die in this country? What does it mean when you have to adjust to a culture? What does it mean when you have to confront a coworker for the sin in their lives? There's a huge lot of challenges we face. If we really want to use our vocations for God, there's a huge lot of challenges that will end up facing. And Joshua 1 speaks to that. It speaks to our response. It, it, it speaks to our insecurities and our anxieties. Whatever direction we choose to head with our vocation or in ministry as, as a whole. 
whether we stay here or go elsewhere, whether we change our vocation or keep the same vocation, any initiative we take for God that involves risk creates anxiety. And Joshua speaks directly to that. But just before we get to Joshua, let's back up to figure out where we are. Those of you who come here regularly would know that this is part of a long series that's going to stretch over all of Scripture. And so we want to find out, just back up for a moment to find out where we are at this point. Basically, in the first few chapters of, of uh, the Bible, first few chapters, several things happen. First of all, God creates, Genesis 1 and 2, and he creates this beautiful place where he has harmony with man, man has harmony with man, man has harmony with creation, no global warming, beautiful place in Eden. And then by, within three chapters, Genesis 3, Eden is lost. They sin, they've turned from God, they've broken their relationship with God, they break their relationship with each other, they break their relationship within their family, and they break their relationship with the land, and they're cast out of Eden. And the rest of the Bible story is talking about how God's going to get us back to Eden. And in Genesis 12, God chooses Abraham, one person, and says, through you, I'm going to bring back everything that was lost. And he takes them in, in three steps, and we've taken through a couple of these already. Maybe. Thanks, Derek. The whole book of Genesis tells us that God starts with one, but then he expands. He's promised this one that, that Abraham, he's promised, will have descendants innumerable. And then he promises Abraham land. And the first part of Exodus, we have the story that is God brings Israel out of Exile in Egypt. But that's only the first step. And then the story stops. So far, it's all been one-sided. It's all been God doing things for human beings. And the story stops here. God gets them out of Egypt and says, now, wait a minute, now. Before we go on, what I want to know is, are we going to be in a relationship? You know, this is a DTR, right? They've been, God's been doing an awful lot. You could say God's been taking Israel on a lot of dates, right? Giving them a lot of gifts, right? And eventually, God says, is there going to be reciprocation here? And he calls them to only two things. He says, you must worship me, and you must obey me. And then he invites them to go into the land, and they say, no. And so he says, okay, for the whole generation has to die. And then God comes back a second time to the new generation and says, look, will you worship and obey and they say, yes, we'll worship. Yes, we'll obey. And God then takes them into the land. And that's where we are today, the second part of the land promise, where God takes them into the land in Joshua. Now, picture this. Back in Joshua. Picture this. They were slaves in Egypt. God raised up Moses. Moses came, and he did all sorts of spectacular miracles. Finally, he said to the people, Follow me, I'll take you out of the land. God's calling me to lead you out of this land. And they follow him. And God takes them through this sea. The water's piled up on either side. They, whole, they owe their whole salvation, their whole lives, they owe to Moses. And God's brought them out of the land. And now God's going to give them a place where they can be secure and safe in their own homeland. But Moses dies just before they're set to invade. 
Moses dies. The only leader they've ever known. This is the second generation. The only leader the first generation ever knew. The only leader the second generation ever knew. The, the one who done all these spectacular miracles. The, the one, hey, let's say the power is not in him. The power is in God. But God's been using him. The only one God has ever used to rescue them dies. Just when they're about to go to war. And they're not defending themselves. They're attacking. They don't have walled cities to protect them. They're invading. The risks. Is there a worse possible time for them to invade than when their key leader has just died? And yet God calls them to invade. God calls Joshua to lead them. So think of the pressure that Joshua is under. Think of the pressure that the Israelites are under. And so God says this to, to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. He lays out for them, first of all, the challenge. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, he says to Joshua, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to, to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. God says, I'm going to give you this entire land. That's the challenge. They have to go in and get it. And then God gives them a promise to sustain them in that. That challenge is going to create a great deal of anxiety. And here's God's promise to them. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers. As I was with Moses, he says to Joshua, so I will be with you. So be strong and courageous. Notice how often in this chapter these, these words come up. Be strong and courageous. Only one reason these words keep coming up is because Joshua is intimidated and scared by what he faces. And God says to him, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I will be with you. So he faces the challenge, and he faces it with that promise, because I will be with you. Joshua also sets out a condition in verses 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant gave you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God has, has promised that he would be with them. But it's... He's with them in a relationship. They must also be with him. And so he tells them, look, I've told you how to be holy. I've directed you in your worship. So worship me. Be holy. Follow this law. Follow my word. And I will be with you. And you'll be strong and successful in these risky endeavors. And then finally he repeats the promise again. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. 
Do not be discouraged. Why doesn't he have to, why can he not be terrified? Why can he not, why can he be courageous? The same explanation, same underlying reason. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. God says to Joshua, God says to Israel, you're facing danger. Some of you will die. This is risky. But you can do it with courage because I will be with you. Now that's what what God said to Joshua. What is God saying to us through what he said to Joshua? You know, that's always the question, right? What did God say to them is really important to start with. But then it all really comes down to what is God saying to us? And this one is really easy to know what God's saying to us through this text. Because Jesus said it. Jesus alluded to Joshua. He reminded them of Joshua when Jesus spoke to his disciples. You remember where Jesus said this? Jesus said, he told them the challenge, therefore go. Not into the neighboring country so you can have a homeland. Jesus said, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go around the world. That's the challenge Jesus gave us. And then he said, he gave us his condition. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Just as Joshua, so us, we obey Not just the command to go, but we obey God as he reveals himself in his word. We submit to God, we worship him, we obey Jesus. And then we have that same exact promise. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, we miss the connection to Joshua because, well, they knew their Bibles Jesus assumed his, Jesus, that's the only Bible they had was included Joshua, right? We, we spend so much time in New Testament. But Jesus is saying this. He's directly alluding to Joshua. He said, look, God did it before with Joshua. At a time of great risk, God brought them into the land. And now Jesus, notice the boldness. Jesus puts himself in God's place and say, what God did before with Israel in the Old Testament, I'm going to do with you now. In this age. Be bold and courageous. Go and make disciples of all nations. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's think a little bit concretely about what this means. There was a sociologist who studied, a a non-believing sociologist, you know, academic, who studied churches like ours. Not our particular independent church. She studied an evangelical church in a particular denomination. And I mentioned this a few years ago. Maybe some of you remember, but it's, it's apropos, so I bring it up again. And she made this contrast. She had grown up, or she was familiar with mainline churches, you know, the Presbyterian, the Anglican, what we would consider maybe some of the more liberal churches, the old-time churches. And she'd grown up in there, or, or was familiar with them, and she made this point. In many mainline churches... People pray for the health of nations, as we pray for the world today. But she said, in those churches, it may may seem 
unseemly to pray for exam results or a new bicycle. But at the church where I did my main research, people were encouraged to pray for things that seemed downright trivial. They asked for that God would give them admission to particular colleges. They asked that God would heal specific illnesses. And they asked that God would provide them with cars, even a particular car, even a particular car in a particular color, even a red convertible car. Now she commented on this, and she was pretty sympathetic. Some reviewers faulted her for being too sympathetic, but she commented. It was pretty clear that many of these prayers did not deliver. God did not answer those prayers. When one member of her small group, a young medical student, entered the residency match, what she really wanted to do was work as OBGYN. And she wanted to live in Indianapolis, where her brother was. As it turns out, she couldn't get placement in Indianapolis. And she couldn't even be an OBGYN. She ended up in family practice in St. Louis. And here we are. And her final, and this woman's response was, I'm struggling with God, she said. I don't know what to say. I'm struggling. Actually, I'm screaming. But we want to be careful with this. It's really, I hope, because I do it, I think it's perfectly legitimate to ask God for a lot of the stuff that would make our lives fuller and more complete. I hope it's okay. I do it. I pray for my work, not just for you guys, but I take certain satisfaction from my work, and I pray for satisfaction and effectiveness in my work. I pray for my wife and her job and her health. I pray for my children's success. Uh, we prayed that our kids would get into school when we were foreigners and had no right, no claim on the school positions. We pray for exams. We pray for any number of things. I haven't ever prayed for a red convertible, but I wouldn't mind a red convertible. I haven't prayed for one yet. I think it's okay to pray for these things. But, but Jesus didn't promise to be with us in, in that. Jesus, oh well, God to Joshua said, go. I'm giving you this land, go. Jesus said, I'm giving you this world, go. And he promised to be with us in that. So, so at least that has to be a chunk of our prayers. A big chunk of our prayers. So we pray for the world. We pray for how we can use our vocations, to, not just to get ahead and make more money, but to, to influence people for God. We pray for how our lives might be able to make a difference as people worship God or as they suffer. You know, we sang a, a great chorus, a worship song today. I really enjoy it, and it really makes it a very important point. But worship choruses can't make every point. They can only make one point, and there's other points you need to make. So here's what we sang. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for he has died for me. His praise and glory shall not fail throughout eternity. We praise God. I praise God that he died for me. You should praise God if you know him, that he died for you. But if his, but, but, but if his praise and glory will not fail throughout eternity, it won't be because he saved me. That's not enough. Jesus is determined to take this world back for God. 
Jesus didn't just die for me. Jesus died for the world. So we get some of our lyricists to write up a second verse. Oh, oh, perfectly good the way the verse is now. It's not a criticism of the song, but it's incomplete. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for he has died for the world, and his praise and glory shall not fail once he's won the world. Once people from every tribe and tongue, people and nation, are in heaven. What does any of this concretely mean to us? It doesn't mean that we all need to drop what we're doing and go overseas. It really comes back to the same kind of things. The four vocational emphases that we've had, the four vo- fo- foci we've had. How, what vocation can you choose that would be useful to God and to other people? How can you shape your current job and your current vocation and your current location to be useful to God and other people? How might you use that vocation in a different location, which is underserviced? Maybe a few of you, not many, should consider vocational ministry as the best use of your resources, best use of your skills to serve God. But whichever of these four options you choose, here's the question. If you weren't afraid of the consequences, what would you do? We face one more difficult circumstances than than Joshua did. We face one, one thing we share in common and one thing is different about us. Joshua, at least for them, it was clear what they should do. For us, it's not clear. God said clearly to Moses, clearly to Joshua, God said clearly to Abraham, go into this land. Now, we don't know what specifically God might be calling us to. For us, it's very much feeling our way forward. You know, the only thing I ever really wanted to do in ministry, the, within two weeks of being converted at 17, the only thing I really wanted to do in my life, I've told you before, was to smuggle Bibles into the Soviet Union. That's the only thing that ever got me excited. Never happened. I corresponded with several different agencies that were in the island of work, and I was, gee, I was 20. Whoa, you know, what a silly idea at 20. But, you know, one of them said, well, we have an opening in France. We won't send somebody who's 20 to Europe, to to Russia, but to Soviet Union. But, well, you know, we have an opening in France, and you speak French, so how about that? I wasn't interested. Nothing. And in college, I was studying uh, French and Russian and Greek, and I thought, I'm never going to use Greek because I don't like dead languages, you know, ancient Greek, right? I like living languages. I want to use Russian. And then it turns out that I taught Greek for 16 years. Well, we don't know what God is actually going to call us to. We've got to take a step. One step at a time. And God doesn't call us to go do some huge dramatic thing like, oh, invade this country, you know, all at once, one big step, right? So we have to feel our way forward. And when we get some great new scheme in mind, we've got to listen to people, get some advice, see. But at least let's take Joshua this far. 
And, you know, maybe our ministries, maybe our, the main focus of our lives will be tame. Maybe our ministry will be pretty much among our peers in a place like a, a church among Christian peers where things are safe. And you know, maybe that's the main part of our ministry, and that's perfectly legitimate. We need people to staff safe ministries. Maybe our ministries will be a little bit risky, like children's ministry. Mm. Some days very risky. Uh, but at least this. Let's take a, a, a small step of risk that we're not taking yet. We haven't taken yet. Let's take a little bit small step of risk and say, you know, find, figure out something that you really, you really have an interest in. Don't, not totally arbitrary, right? Not something you're not gifted for, but something you have an interest in. And, you know, I just wish I had a little bit more courage and I would do this. Small step. Something you have a heart for. You just don't quite have enough courage for Think about that. Identify something like that in your life. And then read Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God, Jesus, your Savior, will be with you wherever you go, whatever you do for him. Let's pray together. Father, be with us that we might take wise, calculated risks, but that we might take risks. Be with us so that we can take risks. We pray this in the name of him who promised to be with us as we take these risks. Jesus our Lord. Amen.